German Chancellor Angela Merkel is warning that up to 70% of the German population is likely to contract the coronavirus. As Germany reported its third death from the disease, Merkel said the country must do everything it could to slow the virus's spread and prevent the healthcare system from being overwhelmed. She called on people to show solidarity with the elderly and those with underlying illnesses who are most likely to die if they become infected. Merkel said efforts were also being made at the European Union level to contain the disease and stop the economic fallout. Welcome to Decolonization Action, a podcast that considers how knowledge, medicine, science, and the arts are being decolonized today. My name is Edna Bonhomme, and I'm broadcasting from Berlin, Germany. In mid-March, the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, declared that up to 70% of Germany would eventually be infected with COVID-19, the novel coronavirus that has shaken up the world. The German government has temporarily banned public gatherings of more than two people and has cautioned residents to engage in social distancing of 1.5 meters in public spaces in order to contain the spread of the coronavirus. Non-essential businesses and shops have shut down, and Germany has essentially closed its borders to neighboring countries such as Austria, Switzerland, France, Luxembourg, and Denmark. At the same time, non-EU residents without a valid visa will be fused entry at the borders. For migrants living in Europe, the political and social uncertainty of the current pandemic can be difficult. So in this special episode, I asked anti-colonial migrant activists living in Berlin how they view the virus, what is happening in their communities abroad, and how we can help communities navigate through this current crisis. First, I spoke with Mugo Mona and then Jennifer Kamel, two migrants living in Berlin who have provided their accounts of what is going on. Mugo Mona is a Kenyan-American data analyst and activist based in Berlin who specializes in surveillance. He's one of the main organizers for Berlin's inaugural anti-colonial month, which happened in October 2019. You're Kenyan-American, which means that you have family members living on two continents, in North America and in Africa. How is the situation in Kenya and the United States, and how has that impacted your communities? Kenya's response to uh, the coronavirus, they basically didn't didn't really do anything, and then, uh, like, maybe three days ago, the the president announced that there will be, like, a dusk-to-dawn curfew posed to, like, slow the spread of of coronavirus for some reason. And, I think, so he announced it on a Wednesday, and then yesterday on Friday, the curfew went into effect, and... The videos online are of police officers uh, and army officials like tear gassing people who are trying to get onto a ferry with like two hours to go until the, the, the curfew actually begins. So like people are just like trying to get home because the workday is shortened and like they have to get across this body of water. And the police have showed up and tear gassed everyone for no reason. It's like being people. Uh, so it's pretty bad. All in all, my family are fine. I, I think the so the, the particular thing was it was in Likoni, uh, which is on the coast. I, I think the the, the the biggest threat to people's lives in Kenya during coronavirus is the government, not necessarily the, the virus itself. Um, in terms of my, my U.S. family, so my my family lives in Seattle. So my parents' church is is in Kirkland, where the uh, which is like kind of like the, the epicenter of like the Washington pandemic. I mean, they, they're fine. They're just like, oh no, we can just watch our pastor on you know the app. There's an app for church. Overall, most people around the world, their lives are disrupted, but everyone's safe and are able to make rent and all that kind of stuff. So everyone's fine. Given what is happening by the Kenyan and 
U.S. government? Do you have anxieties about what will happen to the people that you know in these respective countries? There was the story of um, was a Deutsche Telekom volunteer voluntarily giving um, location data to the German government to like help them see if people uh, were actually social distancing or something. You don't need location data. There's, there's this whole thing of, I mean, the, the way thing about the location data is that it's very hard to anonymize location data, right? So like, even even if you, you remove my name from it, it's like, if you see like, I go from this address to this, you know, if I go to these two locations over and over again, you know, and it's like one of those, one of those locations, like the Bundestag and the other ones, my apartment. So like you can, you can probably put those, those two pieces of information together, even though you don't necessarily have my name attached to it. So kind of the point I'm getting to is that like, there's an expansion of government power that's happening in, in this temporary time and temporary powers and information that, that the governments, different governments want. So, I mean, Kenya's the curfew uh, here. I'm, I mean, I'm sure the German government's probably doing even more stuff, but I'm more worried that once coronavirus will pass, I'm concerned that these these temporary measures will end up lasting a lot longer moving forward. So I'm worried for all of us where, where governments are, are suddenly, it's probably unthinkable that the, the German army is like being mobilized to protect essential businesses. Like, I'm just like, oh, no. It was nice to have them protecting things. Maybe they can protect some more things. I think your concern about the role of increased government surveillance is something that we should all be worried about. And it's a bit difficult to predict exactly how it's going to manifest. Have you noticed any drastic changes in Berlin since the lockdown began in mid-March? I mean, I haven't, haven't, okay, I mean, I haven't had any, any problems necessarily with, since the lockdown began. I, I go running all the time. I don't know, shocker. Kenyan goes running, but um, so today I ran 18 miles. So you know, like I'm going to Wedding, into Mitte, into Friedrichshain, Marzahn, and it's actually kind of sad, especially today because I was running and I mean, there's, there's a lot of people kind of like sitting six feet apart in the sun, not talking to each other. Berlin's already not necessarily the the friendliest city, but it's just it's sad. The coronavirus has generated a lot of fear and anxiety for migrants whose visas might be ending soon and or for precarious workers who can't afford to pay rent next month or their bills and people who depended on working and are suddenly told that they have to stay home. Are there any life uncertainties that you have experienced since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic? Everyone's in uncertain situations in a different way, but I gave notice of my jobs. My work contract ends the end of May. I'm like job hunting slash trying to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do in this situation. And the chance was like, oh man, let's go freelance, you know, let's, let's try and, you know, live live our dreams. And I'm just like, man, all right, man, let's go back. I'm going to be a slave to the man. <laughs> There's so many questions. What's the right thing to do right now, you know? I have no idea how sympathetic those people are going to be to the, you know, to some people come in and be like, hey, like, can I just like live here a little bit longer <laughs> and things just kind of settle down and we figure things out? Also, because I had, I had to go and register at the Agentur for Arbeit because my contract is ending. And the, the friend who helped, who was helping me ended up testing positive for coronavirus. Then I had to go and get tested. This was three weeks ago. And I was there for like three hours. It's like first, the first 45 minutes was standing outside in the cold. And then, like, so we still outside for 45 minutes to get inside to get, a, like, a number. And then we're sitting inside. So I don't have coronavirus, but still, like, there was, especially for just coughing. The guy in front of me had, like, an x-ray. He was like, well, I got an x-ray. I think they, they think I have pneumonia. And they told me to come here. I was like, man, why did they just treat you? Like, no, they told me to come here because this is, this is the place for the coronavirus. <laughs> I was like, this is, like, I'm, I'm, like, if I didn't have coronavirus, I guess I'm going to catch it today. 
when they eventually called my number, you 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 come up to this like piece of glass, and there's a doctor on the other end, and you're talking to it like a like a like a speaker or something. So he's like, uh, "Excuse me, wh- why are you here today?" And like, uh, you know, I came in contact with someone, and then eventually, if you give a good enough reason, do the test, which is they swab your mouth and then they swab your nose like they're trying to scrape your brain, and then yeah, kind of. And it was it was terrible. Some people were there for five hours, didn't get the test because you know their their symptoms weren't serious enough or didn't have a good enough reason to be there. There was a, a certain amount of time where I did not know if I had coronavirus. I, I have asthma, so I'm just like, oh man, I'm I'm like in the risk group. <laughs> so it's like, so yeah. I mean, it was it was definitely not pleasant. Yeah, coronavirus is not made life easier. After speaking with Muko, I began to think more and reflect on how the coronavirus has made life more difficult for refugees in Berlin and in Germany more broadly. As Karsten Nothel wrote in Al Jazeera in March 2020, social distancing is a privilege that few can afford, but it shouldn't have to be. In Bremen, Germany, African refugees from the Lenitzstrasse camp have spoken about the impossibility of social distancing and their facility, highlighting that there are bedrooms with six to 10 people and very poor circulation. This led refugees to protest and demand protection from the novel coronavirus. At the same time, solidarity has also been sung by many during this pandemic. In Berlin, neighborhoods have joined clapping and cheering from windows and balconies to thank caregivers, nurses, doctors, supermarket workers, and all those who are keeping us alive. Moreover, Berlin activists have occupied abandoned buildings to provide shelter for the homeless. Many people, especially those with short-term contracts or service positions, are now left jobless. However, the city of Berlin has distributed funds to precarious workers, freelancers, and care workers for up to 5,000 euros to assist them during their initial phase of this pandemic. These measures are crucial to everyone's survival, and I wanted to get the perspective of one Berlin-based migrant who has been engaged in decolonial work. This is a speech by Jennifer on 29th of February, 2020, at the 14th annual march to commemorate the African victims of enslavement, trafficking, colonialism, neocolonialism, and racist violence, organized by the Committee for an African Monument in Berlin, Germany. Hello, everybody. I am Jennifer from the International Women's Space. I congratulate the efforts of many here to rename Berlin streets, to fight the stigmatization and racism against African people and people with African descent. I want to say as a migrant, I am part of this fight. As a migrant self-organized with other migrants, the realities of slavery and colonialism of the past and the reality of the new forms of slavery are at the corner of our debate and work. Our struggle to come to Europe is a direct result of the exploitation of our natural resources. That is why we are forced to come to Europe and we say we are here because you, Europe, destroyed our lands. Namibia, Togo, Ghana, Tanzania and Cameroon were territories taken by German colonialists. In the past, they invaded our countries and committed genocide. Now they closed their borders and let us die in the Mediterranean. Our answer to those who say that Germany's colonial past is short because it lasted 30 years. 
we say 30 years too many. The Nazi crimes have been incorporated in the post-power German society, who continue to inspire attacks on migrants and will continue if we don't say it loud and clear, we had enough of your structural racism. No more divide and room to weaken us. People of black descent, German or not, European or not, unite against racism. Because like our friend Sister Mimi, our late friend Sister Mimi used to say, if Europe wants to help Africa, start from here. Helping those who are already here. We don't trust your shady treaties with African countries anyway. Thank you. Jennifer Cabal is a co-founder of International Women's Space, an anti-racist feminist group consisting of refugee migrant women as well as women without this experience. The group was formed during the occupation of Oranienplatz, a square in Berlin's district of Kreuzberg, and Gehad Hauptmannsgrün in Berlin. The International Women's Space fosters solidarity and cooperation among migrant women, publishes books, and organizes campaigns, protests, and conferences on the topics of seeking asylum and migrant women's struggle. Uh, my name is Jennifer Kabau, a migrant, but I am originally from Kenya, the co-founder of International Women's Space, a group that represents refugees and migrants in Germany. Uh, it's, uh, we are not used to isolation. We are people who really mingle and uh, we, em we embrace very con close contact whoever we are working with. And already the isolation that has been imposed by the coronavirus is something that we already you you're already trying to get used to and when i talk on the women that i'm representing for example the women in the home and the situation with the coronavirus in this moment it's worrying because most of them are not even getting the proper information on what this coronavirus entails and what it does not entails they are one of the last people who are thought of in these times of pandemics and we are receiving, we are trying to include them by asking them to send voice messages on the situations that they are facing in, the, in these difficult times so that somehow we can be able to uh, understand how it is to live in these spaces. But I'm working with women who are living in the homes. First week there was, up in the, uh, there was this corona thing and the quarantine thing, the lockdown. I visited one of the reception center as in Hutenstadt just to have a first-hand feel on what measures they were doing about the quarantine. And what I got there from the women is that um, it was a very funny situation because your the visitors are put in a container for about five minutes so that you can get into the body temperature. And then your temperature is measured. But what was not right is that the people the flow of the residents of the high in and out was not controlled so we don't we didn't see what what uh, difference it was going to make only for the visitors to be controlled and the residents are not being controlled and yet they they still free movement from different places for example and then there is a situation of people who have underlying conditions which is not taken into account and when you think of the uh, health insurance that the, the refugees are given is wanting. This is really wanting. And we are trying to, to make campaigns, to make, uh, to make calls, to ensure that we are trying to prepare. 
even though we still don't know how we are preparing for what we are preparing for but somehow we have to be in solidarity with the women it's a challenge because even us we don't know how to deal with it it's the same thing this this exclusion not even by language by everything else is something that we are so used to and there's nothing we receive without fighting for it it's like fighting is our is the is the norm you have to start fighting to receive these benefits then there's exclusion is like it's an obvious thing i think what we need is a revolution of solutions for everything this is the most wanted thing that we need because everything about migrants and refugees is not in this structure in this very white racist structure we are not included actually exclusion is by decision so that's why i'm calling for a revolution of solutions Today's episode featured Nuko Mona and Jennifer Kamol, two activists who are based in Berlin, Germany. Over the next few weeks, the world will come to know more about the life of the coronavirus. We will have to reckon with the global impact of the disease and the extent that healthcare workers and medical institutions can provide treatment. In situations where providers have limited resources or where the pandemic materializes in the global south, a comprehensive solution based on compassion will have to emerge. It also has to think about the ways in which capitalism has exacerbated the inequalities that currently are in place. As Jennifer Kamal remarked, this is a time for solidarity. And in a conversation with Asia Sika, a Berlin-based journalist and blogger for the website Women of Color, She shared an astute comment with me in early March. Quote, For some people of color, with the privilege to take the time to take off work and continue to be compensated, this is a time for us to have a break from sexism, racism, colorism, and transphobia. We stay at home and we can take care of ourselves. This is a time to work on our traumas if we want to. It is important for our ecology. My name is Edna Bonhomme, and you're listening to the Decolonization in Action podcast. This episode featured socially distant voices based in Berlin, Germany. As always, there are a list of references and a bibliography in the show notes. During season two, we will continue to provide coronavirus-related perspectives featuring decolonial activists, scientists, historians, migrants, scholars, and more interspersed with other decolonial episodes that take a break from the current pandemic. To learn more about the podcast or to find more information about the people and events referenced, please visit www.decolonizationinaction.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DECinAction, D-E-C-I-N-A-C-T-I-O-N. If you like what you hear, please rate, comment, and share our episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I would like to thank Luko Muna, Jennifer Camor, and a special thanks to Nguyen Bio, a Vietnamese American currently studying social work and human rights in Berlin, for her assistance in making this episode possible. Thank you for joining us, and please stay safe and merry.